Welcome to the Comic Trope. We're in a small room, a floating cube in space, spinning slowly towards our death. Today, I have hashtag amazing Amos. We have famous Amos. It's amazing Amos. We've got Amos, Sequoia, Dave, and Blake. And we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff. But first, let me remind you that the comic trope is a comic book podcast in which me, I, Blake, invite friends over like Amos, Sequoia, and Dave who know more about comic books than me. And we talk about said comic books. Today's topics in no specific order are We Three. A comic book by who was it by again? Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. Frank Quitely. Frank Quitely and Grant Morrison. Wait, is Grant, Grant Morrison? Grant. They're both Scottish. Scottish, right? Yeah, yeah, Scottish. Okay. What else did we talk about? What else are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, wait, I'd like to talk about why we're about, always uh, about to die in these little intros. It's um, like mystery science theater. Yeah, I just feel like you know if we were in space, we'd it probably is, be about to yeah. die. Yeah. I was just trying to keep Robot it. Roll Calls Smiling Dave <laughs> Sequoia Famous Amos and Blake We're going to play some games we got two games coming up We are going to talk about new Marvel books like uh, Invincible Iron Man starring Mosaic. Riri Williams Mosaic uh, Maybe some Spider-Man Maybe not Hey It's all, 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 all said and done Pretty good show We might have a pretty good show It could be a good show we definitely haven't done it yet. We definitely haven't done it yet. It could be a fantastic show, depending on In the how future. we do. We're going to talk about some exciting movie news uh, that was released this past week. Uh, but before we get started on the podcast, if it's all right with everybody here in the room, I'd like to have at least 30 seconds of silence for Leonard Cohen. There is a war between the rich and poor. There is a war. That's, I'm not going to give him 30. I mean, he was great, but I'm not going to waste 30 seconds of our podcast. Uh, notable <laughs> to talk about on a comic books podcast because his rendition, the original version of Hallelujah, is played um, while uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre fuck like rabbits up in uh, Archimedes above the city of New York in the Watchmen film. I can't get that blue penis out of my head. Every time I, I like someone brings up like that movie. Ear. And just imagine that blue penis was inside Claire Danes. as all that Billy Crud up. Was up. <laughs> he put oh, that crud. He put that crud up. Up in that. Put that crud up in that ass. Let's do some icebreakers. Hey guys, there was an election, and I'm going to make a promise to all of you here, and I'm going to make a promise to my listener, to our listener, to our <laughs> listeners, is that we won't bring up politics unless it's. Relevant. We won't bring up religion unless it's relevant, and that that's that, and I want to move on. So, the question for today is, what comic book characters do you think white supremacists like? That's the first <laughs> question that we're going to talk about. Norman Osborn. <laughs> so, what, you know, if you're a white supremacist, what comic book character do you look up to? Not the Black Knight. <laughs> I think, ironically enough, I would, I would imagine they look up to Captain America and not the Red Skull. Even though white supremacy is not what Captain America is about at all, and Red Skull is, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You think that uh, the the new Captain America is right up their alley, though? Sam Wilson? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I was going for. No, so the new Captain America, the new Steve Rogers. Sorry. Oh, Hydra is uh, uh, Hydra infected. You know, 
So there's that. Okay, well, different question uh, along the same lines is, uh, what comic book character do you think would look good orange? <laughs> like, what, what comic book character do you think we just change their skin, make them orange, and it would work okay? Vision? Vision could work as orange. Uh, Vision's you know, Hulk's been orange, never right? tried it out. Yeah, I guess there's orange Hulk? orange Hulk. I think we need a Hulk core, kind of like the Green Lantern. Has an orange like the, lantern? Yeah, the multi-lantern core. Like, yeah. yeah. We've got red, and we've had red, green, and gray. Hulk cores? I would read the fuck out of a book called Hulk cores. I would get so <laughs> down on that. All right, so here's another one. What comic book character do you think has hair plugs? Tony Stark. Yeah, that's what I was about to say that. Tony Stark has hair plugs? If anybody. Yeah. Frank Castle, maybe? No. <laughs> Frank Castle would give a shit about his hair. He know, has man. beautiful hair. I was going to say, he's had a, he's had a long-running coiffure. And I, it's hard to be an Italian man and fight in Vietnam and just still be having that good-ass head of hair. Italians? <laughs> do they lose their hair? I wouldn't think any more than most people. I don't know. They usually got that donut. You see, like, old Catholic Italian man, they always rocking that donut. That's true. I don't know. I think about guys like uh, uh, Armani Armani or uh, Johnny Versace. And those guys, they had nice, full, thick heads of hair. Yeah. You know, whether they were plugs or not. You know. So, I don't know. I guess plugs just strike me as kind of a New Jersey thing. Yeah. If you can't tell, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Answer is no. Let's talk about news. 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 Really? News. I don't get any of the sound effects. I was looking up news. News. <laughs> All right. There. Much better. Uh, Marvel had the first two number one comics in October. This is news because they haven't been on top since the beginning of Rebirth. Uh, one book was Champions, which is an old team-up book that's like Ghost Rider. Who else? Do you remember? Uh, I want to say it was like Champions was... Oh, my God. No, I'm sorry. I'm getting confused with uh, Defenders. It's all the C-listers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the only one I, I remember was Ghost Rider, but he's on there. It was sort of like... No, Angel and Valkyrie? Yep. Angel for sure. I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize the, uh, the cover. But yeah. Anyways, I never read those books. I'll probably try to read this one, but I haven't yet. Uh, and the other is Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell News. It's wait, Big well, Trouble, double Kurt, double Kurt, double Kurt, double Kurt. Come on and double it, double Kurt, double Kurt. Fun. <laughs> isn't wait. that the isn't that the Dolmet theme song? It's Big China, <laughs> Little Trouble, Little Trouble, Big China. Wait, what's, who is this? It's, look, it's, Snake, it's Snake Plissken meets Jack Burton. Right, there we that's go. the easiest Basically. way to, to do it. Yes, in comic form. There's a regular but downtrodden New York City, a small China in lots of trouble. So is it Little China in New York? Like Little Chinatown? I haven't read it yet. I, I haven't either, but I'm just wondering. Like, I think... I think that the reason this book did so well, it was part of one of those uh, monthly box things. That's how they got it. Who's you know, putting it out? It's like... It's Marvel. Mar- no, no, it's not Marvel. It's Marvel. No. Because uh, I think like Boom Studios has... I mean, I thought that it would be Boom or something like that. Who? Let's see. Big Trouble, Little China. I just want to take this time to apologize. I was informed by one of our listeners that I, uh, I was incorrect when I stated that Legion was the offspring of Charles Xavier and Moira McTaggart. I was completely wrong. So please, internet listener, 
Um, <clears throat> thank you for correcting me and understand that sometimes Encyclo- Encyclopedia Black can be wrong. It's on Boom Studios. It is Boom Studios. Oh, this time I'm right. Yeah, and you're right. <laughs> look at Ann. <laughs> well, you're supposed to know more than me, so there we go. Um, so, so somehow Champions outsold. Like, how's Champions doing that well last month? What's the first issue? I mean, and that's the thing, like, when it comes to, you know, sales, they can only account for what stores ordered. They can't account for what people are actually picking up from stores. Can't stores return it? Do they, they correct have, it later? They may have offered an, uh, an incentive because, I mean, you know, I think what the month of October, like the top 50, the majority of the top 50 selling titles uh, were DC Rebirth titles. I think of that 50, like 13 of them were Marvel titles. Um, but once again, that's how many. Now in that case, stores could return uh, whatever they didn't sell, whatever the remainders were for Rebirth titles. So, I, I mean, you know, so you could order a, a crap ton of them and, you know, like 500 copies and send 250 back if you didn't sell them. Wow. So, you know, but that just goes to show that I think that if Diamond made that, you know, a, a ready feature for comic book stores, people, stores would be more willing to gamble on any of these titles. You know, you wouldn't have to, uh, Unworthy Thor, you know, number one, that came out. And there was mm. huge demand for that. I want to read that. I haven't yet. In some serious news, uh, in the month of October, we lost a an amazing artist. Um, what? Steve Dillon. There you go. Steve, who I can't remember the name of because I'm high on Dayquil. <laughs> uh, Steve Dillon, man. Uh, Punisher Max, Hellblazer, and uh, The Preacher. Longtime Garth Ennis collaborator. Yes. Um, he died of uh, a ruptured appendix, which, really? yeah. It's that's that's tough, man. Especially in this day and age, that's like Jim Henson being dead from you know the flu or whatever. It's just it, it's one of those things where he probably just thought it was like a really bad stomach ache and just chose to ignore it. And you can die because you go septic really quick that way. Ugh, that shit. fifty-four, man. Yeah, that's so, young. Yeah, and he had so much going for him. I mean, you know, he was drawing the current Punisher title, and then I'm sure he was reaping. Some reward from you know the preacher television show as well sure. as the upcoming uh, Punisher Netflix series. Was he was he co creator on Preacher? Yeah, yeah, he's got co creator status. He was definitely doing that. Yeah, he was living in New York City apparently. And damn shame. Yeah, I mean, just goes to show you. Go to the doctor. Yeah, go to the doctor. Let him Not put a finger country. up your butt. Get your shit checked. Yep. Sometimes a man's got to play with another man's balls. It's called the doctor, and it's okay. Don't be afraid. So let's talk a little bit about movie news, because there's been a lot of movie news. Uh, we, as a group, just the four of us, just watched the Ghost in the uh, Trailer. The Ghost, Ghost in the, the trailer. trailer. Ghost in the Shell Trailer, uh, which looks really good. I'm trying to remember the anime. It's been a long time since I, like, I watched what, it, man. Yeah, it might have been before that. 95, somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's post-Akira, obviously. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. 80s, but um, it, it, to me, it was like the next big, crawl, like, managed to cross its way over the Pacific to America. I can't, I don't remember anything in between those two. I mean, most when people talk about their favorite animes, I mean, that one's always in there with Ninja Scroll and Akira. Yeah, right. But I've, I've read, I've watched the anime and I've read the manga, and... 
they're very different tonally. I mean, they deal with a lot of the same themes, but you know, um, I like Mamoru Oshii uh, as well as uh, Masamune Shiro. I was a little, you know, I was a little, you know, going back to the whole Akira thing with Zac Efron and uh, what was my man from Tron Legacy? Um, oh, um, uh, Garrett Hedlund. Yeah, you know, like when they were talking about that, I was just like, come on, really? Like, you're going to take this story that's very rooted in Japanese culture and put it in neo-New York and stuff like that. And I'm torn because... Yeah, I feel like it's a little disingenuous for Paramount to say that, like, oh, we just cannot have spearheaded this movie with a Japanese or even, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Asian actress. Um, well, but I got a question on that. Yeah. You go ahead and finish that thought, and then I'll ask my question. But at the same time, it's like, Scarlet, despite being uh, Japanese, looks the part. I mean, I'm kind of excited about it, and I, I'd like to see it, and I feel I feel kind of bad about it, but shit. She got, I mean, she got a good Japanese girl haircut. Were, were the T-Boss. Yeah, she, yeah, she does got the <laughs> T-Boss. <laughs> for those of you who are TLC fans. Rest in know. peace, Left Eye. Yes. So, my question for you would have been, okay, yeah. so let's, let's walk through this logically. Okay, yes, yes. From yes, a yes, filmmaker's yes. perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Do you... Do you go the route of like the the sixties and seventies filmmakers like Lucas and Spielberg and, and their ilk, right? Um, um, and do you say, cool, we're going to pay homage to all of these films that have come before us—the spaghetti westerns, the uh, the serial films, the noir—and and kind of make your own versions of those? The Akira Kurosawa, right? Like Star mm-hmm. Wars in and of itself is basically an Akira Kurosawa film, yeah, yeah. modernized and you know put in a different theater and given to Western audiences. So I guess my question is, is if if you're going to do that, then everybody cries foul, like, oh, you ripped off Akira, and you don't even have the decency to call it Akira. You named it something else. It was called, like, Old, you know, Greg or something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Old Greg lives in future New York or whatever. And I was like, well, this is obviously Akira, and they just didn't want to pay the rights for it. Because people would call foul on that, I feel like. Right. Right? right. Knowing that I think they're probably right. I don't think that you can put a, even if they're very well-known in the Eastern, you know, hemisphere, uh, Asian or even Asian American actor in a role like that and then spend that much money to mm-hmm. be really faithful to the anime or yeah. to the source material and get your money back on it. And that's just a fact yeah. of life. You can disagree with the fact that that's wrong or, or not okay, but, I mean, Americans are Americans. And as much as we point the finger at other countries around the world and are blind, you know, and say, oh, well, you know, the Chinese won't buy it unless it's, you know, catered to them and that's so, uh, you know, isolated and, you know, it's <laughs> narrow-minded. We're the exact same way. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can't argue with you on that. I mean, it's 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 true, and it's like, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's an argument I have, and I'm not even really pushing it all that hard because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, I agree, I agree with your with your standpoint. I mean, you know, does it is it any less Ghost in the Shell or Akira? I mean, it's an American production, so it's like, you know, does it really have to be that faithful or that accurate? Because I mean, you look at a movie like The Departed, which is based on Infernal Affairs, Infernal yeah. Affairs, and that's you know all uh, Chinese cast and stuff, and like they're both fantastic movies. But I don't think an American audience would have bothered watching Infernal Affairs, and it's the same story. It's just acclimated to you know American setting in that time period and whatnot. But uh, no, Ghost in the Shell, man, like that, it looks fantastic. And I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to see it. I mean, you know. Uh, 
I haven't heard what Masamu Nishiro's had to say about it. Mamoru Oshii, who directed the anime, seems to be behind it. And they've talked to like some Japanese fans about it, and they're excited, you know, overseas as well. So um, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Yeah, and then uh, even though I just did, and then, it looks, and then, visually it looks stunning. Oh, and that's yeah. a, that's what's going to bring me in there. Nothing yeah. else. Well, then you know, China went and made a movie called Great Wall and put Matt Damon in it. So yeah, full circle. Full circle. <laughs> We're becoming one nation. Uh, in new, in new, in other movie news, uh, looks like Jeremy Renner is going to skip Mission Impossible Six so that he is able to do Infinity War. I think that's the right call. Well, you know, I remember when he when they first put Jeremy Renner in the Mission Impossible movies, it was they were trying to groom him to take over that franchise from Tom Cruise. And but then Tom Cruise has figured out a way to stay young forever. So Zenu, yeah. yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. So uh, his fainting counts or whatever, <laughs> kind of ridiculous <laughs> through the roof. But no, I think that's smart because I mean, you know. He, Renner had, like, what, potentially three franchises on his plate between Mission Impossible, the Bourne movies, and the Avengers. And, you know, I'd rather have him as Hawkeye than anything else. He's a damn good Hawkeye. Yeah, and, you know, he's a damn good dramatic actor. He needs to do more of that stuff. He's a really good piano player as well. Really? Yeah. Or he's a good carpenter also. Seriously? And a bowler, apparently. Really? Yeah. Um, This is so strange because (laughs) there's a video of him walking on water as well. So (laughs) Yeah. Jeremy Renner, kudos to you, buddy. Uh, So a screenwriter has been announced for the upcoming Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie. Her name is Christina Hodson, and she did a uh, a smaller a smaller movie called The Eden Project. Um, And then also uh, she's doing the Bumblebee Transformers spinoff movie. So nothing. She's it looks like she's pretty new. Uh, But side note is that. Uh, the Suicide Squad made nearly as much money as Batman versus Superman. And it cost less, didn't it? And it cost way less. Okay. Because, okay. you know, they didn't have the star power as well, they had Will Smith. But <laughs> which which not to get into the conversation, but Will Smith was the best part of that movie. And if Will Smith is the best part of a movie, there's something wrong with your movie. And that's it. <laughs> Damn. Wow. And not, not to say I don't like Will Smith. I don't know. It sounds but, like that's what you just said. But he, uh, like very few great movies that Will Smith is in, I can say Will Smith is the best part of that movie. You know? He he's, he takes franchises and ruins them to me. Like, iRobot. Uh, mm. Talking about like... A, I mean, it's a novel, but... It ruined that novel. Well, it could have been a really awesome franchise. You know what else could have been? Is the, the vampire movie he did... Based off of the oh, novella, I am, I am Legend is a fantastic novella, and it was a garbage movie. No, that was always going to be a garbage movie because if you, if you ever get a chance to read this book called uh, Tales from Development Hell or Fifty Greatest Sci-Fi Novels, uh, Sci-Fi Movies Never Made, and like they track the history of them trying to make mm-hmm. a film out of I Am Legend, and I think when they talk about the iteration that Ridley Scott was going to do. With Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> you could have got that shit. I'm legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to be fair, that movie was made in the '60s uh, with uh, Omega Man, and before that, Last Man on Earth, right. with Vincent Price. Yeah, that's true. They've, so. they've, yeah, that it, it has been. It has failed to be a good movie over and over again. So we'll see about a Harley Quinn movie because Harley Quinn 
was the second or third best part of that movie. And uh, I don't know, man. She wasn't all that great. So, well, you like Margot Robbie? Robbie? How you say her last name? Margot Robbie. Nope. <laughs> is that, is that I, how you I say think it? she's Australian, actually. Yeah, she is. All right. Um, Amos, Margot Robbie. Can you please say her name correctly? Margot Robbie. Thank you. That's what we have you here for. First thing Amos has said on the show, everyone. <laughs> Ever. Ever. <laughs> Margot Robbie. Um, sorry. Right. Somehow. I can't. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> And that's all I got for news, everyone. One last thing. Uh, Valerian and the Planet of a Thousand Worlds, uh, or City of a Thousand Worlds, is uh, being brought to the silver screen. Had a trailer drop this past week. Luke Besson is directing it. It's been a passion project of his since almost around the time he wrapped up work on uh, The Fifth Element. It, it, once again, he's managed to capture the look and energy of an issue of, of Heavy Metal Magazine. Yep. So that'll bring me in. Yep. Plus, I just love that guy. He's wacky as hell. Even when he totally missteps, like, uh, what was it, Lockout? I liked Lucy. Lockout was real bad, though. Lucy's the girl who can use the majority of her brain? All of it. Towards the end. Yeah, I think I saw that. She was able to travel through time using her mind and then turned herself into a flash drive. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Hey, is that the same as Johnny Mnemonic? Uh, Slightly different. There's only so much I can hold in my head. That's what he sounds like, right? He's like, I've lost all my memories, but I'm bringing you this data. Johnny Mnemonic was the shit. You must have watched that recently to remember that much. Nah, man, I'm like Johnny Mnemonic when it comes to films with that dude. (laughs) So you're a Keanu fan. I'm a Keanu fan, yeah. I named my cat after him, and then my cat got abducted. By these gangsters, and I had to like go get my cat back. It was this whole ordeal. Now that's, There's a movie based on it. It's pretty dope. That's a that's a crossover for that ass, Johnny Newmanwick. <laughs> Plus, I was offended when that movie about your life came out because I was like, Blake is a white man. How dare they cast <laughs> two black, black people men. to portray Blake? Well, I mean, there needs to be you know they're looking at a certain type of audience, and I'm not filling that void. You know, I mean, you can't get mad at it. Let's talk about a comic book that we all read. Oh. We Three. And We Three was written by... Greg Morrison? With art by... Frank Fr- Quitely. Quite, quitely. He's Scottish. How would you say... How would quite, you say? Quitely. Say, could you say it a little quieter? It's published in... Quite, quitely. 2004. Yeah. Right. Oh, folks. According to the Indicia. And I, I think that it's pretty easy to give a synopsis of this is that animals are weaponized and used as assassinating uh, machines with gratuity with yeah with like <laughs> or whatever just horrible they end up shutting they, the project down the government shuts the government the shuts down. the project down the doctor who was training the animals sets them free and then the animals go on a killing rampage um, there's a rabbit, a dog, and a cat. Uh, the rabbit gets killed, and then the dog and cat end up killing a bunch of people and being uh, falling in love with a homeless man, and that was a good ending. Bandit? Okay. What are their names? Bandit? Bandit, pirate, pirate and Tinker. T. Tinker, that's right. Tinker's the cat. The cat. Yeah, pirate's the bunny and bandit's the dog. Right. Yeah. I think Grant Morrison always described the book as the journey home mixed with short circuit. With machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Well, short circuit had machine guns, or like he had that like laser thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he got weaponized, nothing says action movie like goofy robot with tank treads and Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Who is Johnny? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the art. Yes. How do you guys feel about it? Uh, literally, if anything this man does. The best shit of all time. <laughs> I, I am a huge Frank Quitely fan. If I'm not mistaken, this book came out like right after they had finished their run on uh, New X Men. Yep. It was their first collaboration at, for DC Vertigo since I want to say Flex Mentalo. Yeah. So it was nice seeing them again. But is there? Uh, I, I'm a huge Frank Quitely fan. Me too. He's a bit of a acquired taste. But, I mean, the guy had... There's something very unique to his style of art. I mean, you know, I'm... Like I said, I'm an immense fan, but he, you know, talks about his influences being, like, Jeff Darrow and Mobius. Um, But he's a guy who can pack a lot of detail in small spaces, small panels. Um, You know, his... His, his people don't always look perfect, but I think that's sort of the point. Uh, their facial expressions. I can always tell what a Frank Quietly character, illustrated character is thinking by looking at their face. Yeah. And their yeah. bone structure when they get blown apart. It's pretty accurate. <laughs> the art reminded me a lot of We Stand on Guard as far as the level of gore and yeah. the realism of that. It was neat. I really like the art, but some of the panel placement in this book confused me. It was adventurous. Yeah. Well, they they said at the time they were working on the book, they were trying to go for something that was very kinetic. I mean, the sequence, I think you might be talking about, is, is, is... The first, I would say the first five or... So the first assassination in the book... That's and pretty then, straightforward. Well, no, when, I, when, when they were... When the last guy to get killed was like running away, when you don't know that these are like animals shooting or whatever, I don't know. And I also read this digitally, and you did not, so maybe, maybe there's a difference there because nah, I don't think so. I I, I had trouble. Hardcover looks phenomenal. Though. Yeah, the hardcover is gorgeous. Uh, I for some reason had to read the book. Like, I had to go back and read pages over and over to get the panel placement right. Well, I mean, he does a lot of uh, uh, two-page spreads, and I don't know how that translates, per se. Yeah, they do it on a single page. Okay. And you can flip it, yeah. But, um, I mean, you know, Amos is right. I mean, just the level of detail and the gore and violence in this thing is phenomenal. But, yeah, that's sort of the, the opening money shot for this book is just this guy... Literally being riddled, you know, full of holes from the bullets. And, you know, quietly, I think at this point, definitely by this point, he had, I don't know if he was solely working via computer, you know, because some guys will do their stuff via pencil, scan it, and they'll do the effects afterwards. But he works with a, a, Wac- a Wacom, Wacom Wacom tablet. Wacom, Wacom tablet. Wacom tablet. And, um, we were Wacom. Wacom. Yeah, I know, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Um, but he works on a tablet, and you know I, I've read interviews how he says it's just a lot more economic for him as far as you know getting everything down pat with his with his artwork. So you know he uses a lot of digital effects. I mean I kind of like the three D effect of the bullets coming at you as they tear through uh, this uh, 
I don't know, was a guy like a drug lord or uh Someone in Ecuador dictator, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys read into this like I did? So I read this as a, a critique or a obvious mention of sending children to war. And I read this as like these animals are making us feel, making the reader feel emotional because they're cute and cuddly and everything. And they're being talked into going to war. They're killing a bunch of people. And when they come back, they're kind of forgotten. And we set them aside. Like we set aside like a lot of our, uh, a lot of the heroes that come back from war. And when I read this, like you, the use of animals portraying our military, our young military, that's kind of how I read it. And it, it was really depressing for me. Well, I mean, you can find, I think, you know, reading it after the fact, you, you, you can read that into the book, but you got to remember this, this came out in 2004. So we'd only been in Afghanistan like a year and for a, half, a year. Yeah. So no one had come back yet. But I mean, literally, like Morrison, he's a huge animal rights you know, advocate and such. If I'm not mistaken, I think he might be vegetarian. I could be wrong. But this is, I I want to say this was after uh, one of his pet cats passed away. And I remember him saying, like, in the documentary about him, uh, that he was in a really dark place. Uh, and you kind of, if you look at his work from, that, from this time period, like uh, this, the filth, uh, some of his new X-Men stuff, hell, any of the crap that he was doing at Marvel. He was just in a really, you know, bleak mindset. So, you know, this was him just kind of, I guess, channeling whatever darkness was flowing through him. But really, it's just a, it's a, it's a pro-animal rights book. Yeah, it almost seems, it almost seemed kind of cathartic, like about yeah. animal testing. He was like, well, I'll show you when you test on fucking animals. Like, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. For some reason, I read it into it as like a, as a response to war That's in the general thing about art man which i read this like as my daughter was in surgery oh. <laughs> so it was like when i was reading through this i was like whoa hit me real hard i was like this is probably a bad time to read this book but i had no, i didn't know anything about this book coming into it right. so I, when, after finishing it, i was like holy shit it's dense man like it's 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 a war book well, especially for you know, it was a three-issue miniseries when it came out. Yeah, it's amazing how much gets done in three comics. Well, you know, Morrison was one of those guys at that time. He was experimenting with you know economic storytelling. Him and Warren Ellis were doing it roughly. Mm-hmm. I think Ellis was doing it prior, but you know, it was just one of those things. How much story can you tell? You know, and not having to. It, it was a response to. The whole Brian Michael Bendis decompression style of storytelling where it's like, we're going to tell this story in a six-issue story arc. And, you know, Ellison Morrison were more like, hey, what can I do in one issue? What can I do in a three-issue arc? Like, not everything has to be written towards, you know, $15 or $16 trade paperbacks. Uh What can I tell in just three simple issues? And it's a lot. It's very dense. Especially, I mean, Quietly does a lot of the heavy lifting with Mm -hmm. the art because so much of this book is wordless. Yeah, I mean the 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 expression on that dog's face throughout the whole thing was just phenomenal. I mean, he the I've never seen like so much expression in animals' faces in a graphic novel before. 
Yeah, um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to think back and remember at the time when it came out with just general public response was to it. I mean, this is one of those kind of one of those gems where, you know, folks in the know are able to stumble upon it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've recommended it to a few folks um, and they, they seem to like it. Um, but I mean, this is I feel was just a prelude, you know, of what was to come between these guys when they did All-Star Superman, which at some point in the future, you know, we definitely need to sit down and read. But, um, you know, just going back to Quietly and his artwork, you know, I'm coming up, flipping through this book, the whole security cam um, sequence and such, where you have these four or five different security cameras. No words, but basically showing the story of the animals escaping from the facility, how that happened, and... I mean, it was. Uh, I think he said this was 108 panels. And, you know, most artists, when they have to plan out a page, you know, they do those, they do really small thumbnail sketches. And what he said he did to uh, plan out this sequence was he took little individual, let me see if I can flip to the page. He, uh, I don't know if this was in the digital version, but he talks about it here. Hardcover, if I can damn it, find Okay, so he made, it was 108 panels. He made these little note cards and color-coded them as far as, like, and had to plot out the sequence. It was almost like, you know, doing storyboards for a movie, you know, how, how the action was going to flow and how, how to arrange all that stuff. I mean, the guy's really meticulous about how he goes about his paneling. Um that's that's an awesome sequence and no words whatsoever you know it's kind of Barely. funny to me about that whole sequence is when you see the animals escaping you see all these guards and people who work in the facility and it's like they're tossed into the air like mm-hmm. you know they look okay it's like the animals aren't murdering them but they're like flying out of the way and it's almost like a three stooges scene and then the rest of the comic is so gory and heads are exploding it's like it's jarring how different that is. I thought mm. that was really funny. I didn't even notice that. That's cool. One of the uh, panels that I liked the most is when the cat attacks the. They're outside in the forest, and the cat attacks like some of the soldiers who are attacking them on foot because they they don't know what they're going into. And it's an interesting like. It's like they took all of the panels of the comic and. I don't know how to explain it, but like they made them, they like flip them and make them vertical. Like you're seeing them from the side. Right. Um, almost like it's like you're standing up like a mirror and a mirror and a mirror and a mirror and a mirror. And the you can just see each panel as the cat's attacking the head of like this soldier. It's, uh, for anyone who's got the digital versions, page 46. And it is, uh, and it's so cool. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in, uh, in, a graphic novel before like just that i mean it's got a background of red and then the panels are standing up next to each other and they're like almost 3d it's neat well they talk about it and uh you know the the sequence prior to that like i said it's it's, it's all the the attack sequence how you have the the two-page spread uh there is a two-page spread split into two panels the top panel being all the action with Number one, the dog, and number two, the cat. But then within those panels, you have these smaller panels showing these really detailed, close-up mm-hmm. uh, bits of violence. Like it's 
you know, you read a comic book and you see somebody get shot, you see the bullet pass through, but but Quietly really tries to get in there and and shows like like there's one uh, the bottom panel with the cat like you see one of the soldiers is a close up of his eye and you see his his eye looking normal beforehand but then the next panel adjacent panel is one of the the cat's um I guess claws or whatever like in slow motion ripping through his actual yeah. eyeball and I mean it's <laughs> it's gory as hell yeah. But you know they they said the reason why they they uh, laid it out in this manner was earlier you know prior in the book the scientist says that the animals they don't experience time or vis- or space the same way a normal human was so that was the way like you can you can depict slow motion in the comic but then like this slows the action sequence down even further so it's to emphasize how quick they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how they're able to pick little details out of the air that a normal human wouldn't. Yeah. I, I remember when this book was coming out as well, uh, because I was working at the comic book shop, like, I was pumped. Because, again, as we mentioned earlier, it was one of the first things that Morrison and Quietly had done in a while together. Uh, and uh, being a big fan of both of them, I just really wanted to see what it was about. And then previews came out, and it let you know, like, hey, it's about three animals that were formerly household pets that were experimented upon. I mean, that all just, you know, that sounds like a, a magnificent thing to put together because it's, it's kind of off the wall. It's definitely not something that, you know, you would normally go to. Uh, and at the time, I was really, really kind of rejecting superhero books. And so mm-hmm. this kind of shit was right up my alley. Um, but for someone who's read it now and read it upon its initial release, uh, you know, I, I think it holds up. I think it's every bit as good as it used to be. It might even be better to me now simply because... Um, I think I've been able to look at it the another go through as with a little bit more nuanced eyes, maybe, and kind of appreciative because we have kind of I wouldn't say slowed down from these kinds of books, but you don't see them nearly as much like the little quirky little experiments from the big name guys. Yeah, yeah, Marvel and DC they they don't really take chances or you know they don't have the same talent base that they used to, um, and I don't think they've. I don't think either one of them is created. I mean, as far as their own individual properties are, you know, the vision would be an example, but, um, you know, they haven't, I don't, they haven't really provided a space for a lot of these guys to kind of do their own thing. Well, they're sheriff of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's vertigo, but <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, when I read vertigo these days, I feel an awful lot like it's all stuff that they're trying to get made into a television series yeah. or a movie. That being said, let's each of us give just two sentences and end with a, a grade on this book, a uh, letter grade. What I would suggest things to think about would be uh, who do you want to, who would you, who would you suggest this to read? What, uh, what book do you put this next to on your shelf? That kind of thing. Uh, for me, I would not suggest this book to anyone who isn't a comic book reader. <laughs> this is a violent and fun and depressing book. And I would not, I would suggest it to any of you guys and anyone else who's like, yeah, yeah, I read a lot of comics. Oh, have you read We Three? Or do you like violent books? Or do you remember that uh, comic book Razor from the uh, early 2000s, late 90s? Do you remember that jam? Yes. Like that super, super bloody black and white jam? Yeah. Um, that's what I suggested to. And, f- and because of that, I would, I would probably give it a, uh, 
I would probably give it like a B minus myself. I really, really liked it, but I don't, I don't think it's very accessible. And I actually don't see myself reading it again. <laughs> I really liked it and I enjoyed it, but I don't think that I would, uh, I don't, I don't think this is something I'm going to go back to as much as I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can agree. I think because of the level of violence, I can't necessarily recommend it to anybody and everybody. Um, some people are just going to be put off too much by it. I mean, case in point, the sequence when they're, uh, when the dog gets beheaded, not number one, but you know, when yeah. they encounter the family, the who are out hunting, or the rabbits getting shot to pieces by the Apache mm-hmm. helicopters, or how like the how the rabbit acts after it's like almost dead, yeah, and, like how it's like slowly dying. That shit was that was depressing. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I love it, so I'm biased right off the bat, but I mean. Compared to their other collaborations, uh, they've done better stuff. So I don't know. I mean, I'll give it a minus. Yeah, I think that, uh, and I, you know, not to sound too um, praiseworthy of it, but it's it's right up my alley. Um, as far as who I would recommend it to about being right up someone else's alley, I feel like if you're a Morrison and Frank Quietly fan, you probably have already read it, so there's no reason to recommend it to you. Um, but anybody who appreciates kind of the uh, the British revival of comic book authors that we got towards the, the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, I think that anybody that's a, a big fan of Morrison or Warren Ellis or uh, Garth Ennis, uh, you know, kind of along those lines, you'll probably really appreciate this book. Because as far as the violence is concerned, I mean, in any direction that you look, Warren Ellis is probably going to give you something that's equally violent. I mean, Transmetropolitan or you know, even more modern image stuff like The Walking Dead or We've Read Prophet. Like, I think it's along those lines in terms of violence. I think that it probably strikes a chord with more people because I think more people are probably more gun-shy to watch animals get ripped apart than they are humans because we're so desensitized to the human bit of it. Um, Every page in this book, people died. Yeah, but you're not... Profit wasn't like that. <laughs> it's equally as disgusting. Sure. Different kind of and, disgusting. And potentially more detached because if a bug man dies, I mean, who the fuck cares? Like, you don't know what a bug man is, so whatever. It's fine. Uh, this is a little bit more real. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't. It is pretty violent, but I, again, I don't... With the opening, uh, you know, of this season, you know, Walking Dead being what it was, I don't really think there's that many people that would turn away from this and feel that disgusted. I give it a I give it an A minus as well. These pets kill people. They're fuzzy and frenetic. I'd give it a B. That's my Wii Three haiku. That's your Wii Three haiku. That's really good. Fuzzy and frenetic. Oh, what would we do without you, Amos? Uh, so yeah, go download it from three minutes. Um, Comicsology. It's like eleven ninety nine. That's a pretty good deal. Ten ninety nine. Ten ninety nine. That's a good deal. So check it out on Comixology or uh, go to your local shop and pick it up. So I've been reading a lot of Marvel. Surprise, surprise. I want to talk about Mosaic because I made a mistake of going on a message board. And uh, someone was like, the thing about black comic book characters is their superhero power always hides the fact that they're black. And... I didn't know that this was a critique. And I want to get your opinions on this. Because Storm, she doesn't it, it doesn't hide the fact that she's black. What does that even mean? Well, basically, you know, 
I guess the thing is, someone having a power where they light up or they turn a different color or somehow okay. their appearance is obscured. Okay. So you wouldn't know. I, you know, when you said that, I, I can't think of a bunch of... I'm trying to think of examples, and the only one that comes to mind is Spawn. So Spawn totally does. It, it looks looks like a giant evil demon, though. Yeah, I mean, even when he takes off his mask, he's, you know, horribly disfigured. Do, wait, isn't Electro? No, Electro's wife. No, Electro's wife. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. In the movie. That's right. Is, is black. Um, does he turn blue in that movie, though? Yes, he does. So there so we go. There's one, right? I didn't really know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any other characters. So Mosaic is one of those characters, though. So Mosaic turns into this, like, floating, inhuman, like, kind of looks like Tron. Yeah. Does not look, does not have African-American features, does not look black at all. But he's a shapeshifter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like, if that was the case with the majority of black superheroes or comic book characters, maybe I would go along with that argument, but I feel like there are more characters that you obviously can tell that they're black that I, it seems like such a, a small thing. You know, I, I, I think it really doesn't matter, honestly, especially for a character that's a shapeshifter. Yeah. So the story's kind of neat. So the mosaic story is that he is a he's a badass back, basketball player who ends up getting That's more racist. <laughs> is it? I guess you can't really tell the Black Panther is black. I mean, hell, I just found out within the last few years Black Manta was black. I never knew that. What? Yeah, I never knew that. So the whole time I was like, wait a minute, do they just put so black whole, in front of like everyone's name? Just to, what the hell? Yeah, they did. <laughs> Super Friends. Also, you watch Super Friends. Yeah. You the whole time I watched Super Friends, I did not know Black Manta was black. I had no idea whatsoever. Is so, Martian Manhunter black? No, no, but black Martian. Martian. Is Black Adam black? Mm. That's, that's like uh, asking. He's Arabic. Yeah, that's like okay. asking. Is Frylock black though? I mean, he's a black guy. He's voiced by a black man. Well, yeah, but he's a black man. I don't know. Well, that's like Panthro. Is <laughs> yeah. Panthro a black man? Hey, man, that's... Uh, <laughs> is Shake a white dude? <laughs> Shake is very clearly a white dude. Wait a minute. No is Meatwad? What, yeah, no. what's Meatwad? Meatwad is nothing. He is just a ball of hamburger meat. <laughs> I'm just a hamburger. I can understand why somebody would be perturbed by that. Like, I want to know my black characters are black, but... I mean, shit. I, eh, it's not the point of the character anyway. Uh, yeah, I was confused by it. But the story of Mosaic is that this guy who is, he's not like Shaquille O'Neal like known basketball player, but like he's an up and coming mm. and he's got a famous girlfriend. He's starting to make a lot of money and he's known for all of his physical attributes. You know, he's, he's the star player or he's whatever. An he's an athlete. But then the cloud hits him. The Terrigen Mist. Yep. That Terrigen Cloud hits him, and he turns into kind of like this thing that can that travels between bodies, and as he travels between bodies, he gets the memories of that body, and he can inhabit the body for a little bit, uh, and then is forced out of that body into another body, but he takes the uh, memories of the previous body with him, hence a mosaic of like personality, so, like is that not how Quantum Leap works? I was just about to say. So this guy is Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap, yeah, mixed with Rick Fox, yep. Because <laughs> that's how I imagine his star. 
being on equal similar level to. What about that movie that was like always singing "Time is on your side"? Oh, uh, that yes, was it is. Fallen. 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 Yeah. Wait, is that, that Denzel Washington? Washington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's Denzel. The angel who yep. Yep. Body swaps. It's like Quantum Leap meets Denzel Washington from Fallen. If we're gonna talk about theme songs and Scott Bakula. We need to start uh, singing the song again. From Enterprise. It's been a long time. <laughs> Getting from this body to that one. <laughs> just re- rewrite just re- it for re- a it. It's fine. Yeah. That song it's works with... It's been a long time. Can you sing yeah. it me one? Uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Getting from there to here. Getting from there to here. <laughs> take the mid bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Your father's family. My name's Meat Rod, and I'm in Star Trek as well. I enjoy the commentary. I rare run, sir. Um, you would and get crushed, but then come right back. Yeah. So Mosaic, I read uh, the first two. It's it, so far, it's, it's a neat, it's a neat idea, and also. Think about it. When's the last time Marvel has introduced a new character that hadn't been in any other comic books? Well, who's the last character? The, the last batch of new humans they, incre- they created. Did they have their own book? No, they uh, were uh, they were uh, no. in, in in human book. That's like that's that makes sense, right? You you put out a book that has a bunch of new characters. Which one sticks? They get a solo. But to come out of nowhere and like, hey, here's a new character. Well, I thought and see when you mentioned whoever it was that was writing um, uh, Mosaic, I thought this is one of those kind of celebrity vanity projects. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the uh, the writer myself. What did you say his name was again? Jeffrey Joffrey. Is that with, with a G? Joffrey. Geoffrey Thorne. Yeah. It was G-O-F-F-R-E-Y? Yeah. That's just Jeffrey. Yeah, but I said Geoffrey, so he spelled it right. Oh, I see. <laughs> but you just called him regular Joffrey when you said his name the first time. Look, man. I'm, look, I gotta get pedantic here. Okay, so he's he's kind of dabbling in sci-fi writing and stuff like that. Is this his first comic debut, though? Uh, I don't think this is his. No, I don't think it is. So it's just somebody you don't know about. That's very rare. Uh, let me see the red line. He did. Was a com- uh, he did Journeyman for Dark Horse Comics. He did a Knight Rider comic. Oh, he's doing Solo for Marvel. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. I, I thought. I mean, it's it's written real well. The art's really fun. It's really bright. A lot of uh, a lot of electric colors. Kind of like throwback to '90s coloring in a way. I just refuse to support the Inhumans. I'm sorry. Uh, you might you might be screwed <laughs> because. Uh, I, I'm a racist when it comes to the Inhumans. You're a if you were touched by the Terrigen Mist, we don't want your kind here. You and Scott Summers will get along. <laughs> Another book that I have read that so has Sequoia is the uh, Invincible Iron Man with uh, Riri Williams. Yes, yes. How do you feel about that origin story? Uh, I liked it. It was very well written. I almost wish it was another character other than Iron Man, but... She's Iron Heart. Man, look... <laughs> I don't get it. I kind of hope she winds up becoming one of those unique, long-lasting characters, kind of like in the same vein as Miles Morales. And I mean, you know, they both were created by Brian Bendis, so I mean, the potential is there. Um, Did a great job with Miles Morales. So 
Yeah, I lo- and I love the art for the book. So I'm glad to know that they're trying to put a lot of effort into it. Um, you know, I'm just hoping that all the people who I- I'm hoping that the fan base will be there for for that character. But there seems to kind of be a backlash. I'll admit I've kind of expressed some sentiment, but what what do you what sentiment have you expressed? Well, just the whole thing of. If you like Iron Man or whoever, like if you go to check out Invincible Iron Man, Tony Stark and or whatever you may have liked about Iron Man may no longer really be there. So I'm hoping I'm hoping people will be open enough to give it a try, you know, and it's allowed to succeed or fail on its own. So the reveal at the end of the book mm-hmm. is that Tony Stark's uh, personality is going to be her A.I., her Jarvis. Her Jarvis, if yeah. you will, yeah. I think that's kind of neat because his personality is so strong and so different than her. she is because she's a 15-year-old who was trying to do good. Is much more like pure and, you know, like <clears throat> young superhero. And he is kind of like a grizzled old Tony Stark. So I think that there could be some really good back and forth there. And that's what I look forward to. Um the, but, but I'm trying to figure out because you know Civil War hasn't ended yet. Is Tony we, dead? We don't know what happened to Tony yet. Yeah. So same thing is the. Did you read the other Iron Man? Oh, uh, the Doctor, the infamous infamous Iron Man. Iron Man. No, I didn't read that. It's really good. But um, so Doctor Doom runs into the, an AI as well because he steals a suit. So yeah. and then he runs into Tony Stark's AI in that as well. So we don't know. We don't know what's what's happening to uh, Mr. Tony. I'm going to tell you what, if you are not reading Kill or Be Killed by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, you are a straight up dummy and you need to be punched in the face. But that is a fantastic book. Um, I mean, once again, it's Brubaker working in another type of genre. It's somewhat similar to... um, Le Crim? Yeah, criminal uh, as far as being a crime book. But it's not crime from the perspective of... It's it's sort of the other side of that. Like he's he's dealing specifically with the whole notion. It's a vigilante style book, but you have the the main character whose name escapes me. But um, something happens to him, and I don't want to give away the the twist. But something occurs to this guy that causes him to go out each night and seek out bad people and murder them. You know. Uh, a lot with a shotgun, a lot of the Punisher, um, and like, like I said, I don't, I don't want to spoil what the reasons are. If he doesn't do it, I will say this: if he doesn't do it, something bad will happen to him. But it's, it's just really fantastic. He's, I mean, in all intents and purposes, it, it more or less is the Punisher, but to some degree, he's also kind of deconstructing the notion of Spider Man. Of someone taking the law into their own hands and deciding who's good and who's bad and who needs to be punished severely for their crimes and such. And of course, like, you know, with all the, and I recommend you get, if you do buy, you buy the individual issues. The trade won't be out until December. But, uh, the thing that's fantastic about, you know, any of the Brubaker project is that there's always an essay in the back, usually by Jess Nevins or somebody else, kind of talking about different, uh, different movies, television shows, books that deal with whatever the overall theme of that title is. So, so far, like three issues in, he's done, they've done an essay on Old Boy. 
That's awesome. Uh, they've done an essay on Death Wish, the first one. Well, the series as a whole. And then they did one on I Spit on Your Grave. Mm. You know, talking about movies that deal in the revenge vigilante uh, genre. It's fantastic stuff. Beautiful artwork. Really intense story. I highly recommend it. Cool. I will check it out. Oh, it's from Image. Which means it's going to be good. Yeah. Let's play some games. Games. It's us coming down to the $10,000 pyramid. Uh, this game we've played for the past four or five episodes. It is inspired by the website powerlistings.wiki.com, in which every power known to man and woman has been cataloged in this wonderful website, which you can hit a random button and it will bring up a different power. And I will ask these gentlemen here to either tell me a superhero who has this power or create a superhero who might have this power. And now I will be hitting the random button. This is a cue for your uh, music. Soul Carrier. Shang Tsung. User... (laughs) User can carry or hold the souls of others inside themselves, either to prevent the soul from being sent to the afterlife or because the other person's body is unable to carry it in their own. Your soul is mine. Your soul is mine. The bound concubine of Duke Leto Atreides, Jessica. Dang. Really? Does she have them? I don't know. All Benny Gesserits are able to recall the past lives. Oh, okay. See? But I don't think it's a soul thing. I think it's a it's an intellectual thing. Like it's their like a no, it's, it's their memories carried down from the 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 maker's spice, the water of life. I fucking love Dune. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is not a person, but it's an object, and that's the um, is it the soul sword? It's katana from katana soul sword. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Katana has a, a samurai sword that. Contains the souls of all the people who have been slain by it. The not bad guy Katana from Suicide Squad? <clears throat> yes, yes, that Katana. <laughs> or uh, Batman and the Outsiders. Right, yeah. yeah that book. I'll accept that. Let's hit this random button one more time. <laughs> Enhanced fanmanship. What? I'm sorry. Fighting with fans? Users are able to demonstrate... Fluid and graceful proficiency for the way of the fan. Fanmanship. Uh, that would be another Mortal Kombat character. What Melina. Is no, Katana. Would it be Katana? Melina has, Melina has size. Katana uses the, the fans. That makes no damn sense. I know, right? Why would Katana not have a Katana? Like the other Katana. Right? Um, isn't there one of the characters from Immortal Iron Fist? Um, what was his posse he used to roll with? can't remember the characters because everyone had those really long like steel knee no yeah they had like names like steel or like daughter of uh breathing of uh dying flame or something like that those really weird like chinese hero names uh ancient one total swinton's ancient one uses uh soul astral projected fans (laughs) she carries an actual fan who the hell fights with a fan People who are badass, they're like, man, I'm going to your ass with a fan. What is it? Advanced fanmanship? <laughs> is that what you said? 
There's probably someone in Mega Man named Fan Man, so he probably. Oh yeah. All right. On that on that note, thank you guys for listening to another successful comic trope. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can find us on the internets. Give yourself a, a hashtag the comic trope at Canadian Blaken or at the count paper. Wait, at count paper. Hashtag smiling Dave. Hashtag Zumba Amos. Hashtag black. It's the Encyclopedia Black. Black Encyclopedia Black. Like, uh, like, like throwback to earlier when we were talking about every comic book. Character. They had to make sure that we knew that Sequoia was African American. <laughs> black Encyclopedia <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Black, I heard there's a white black. man named Encyclopedia Black. I like to know my podcasters are black. <laughs> oh man, Black Manta, Black Black Manta, Black Encyclopedia Black. Was Black Racer black? Black Racer was black. Black right? Racer was black. Black Black Racer. Black Hawk was not. I'm thinking about. No, black Hawk was Jewish. The song oh. in um, CB4 now. Just because I've heard the word black like 30 times in the last 10 seconds. I don't know that song. I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. And I'm black, and I'm black, and I'm black, and I'm black, y'all. All right, guys. Eat your big-ass biscuit. See you guys next week. Found Rolex. And try to find us if you can. Bye.